1: And welcome to another episode of Strange Planet. Thanks for sticking me in your ear, as always. Looking forward to this conversation. We are going to uh, discuss dousing the uh, remarkable case of Lindsay Higgins. If you don't know about the L- Lindsay Higgins story, uh, she was the, uh, her story was the subject of the Netflix series Haunted, uh, series, um, or episode five, I think, in the, uh, the first yeah, season.
0: Season one, episode five.
1: There you go and uh we're going to discuss lindsay dowsing uh reincarnation and much more with uh two wonderful gentlemen dan baldwin professional writer often a ghost writer for other professionals he's written co-written or ghosted more than 50 books has won numerous local regional national awards certified clinical hypnotherapist plays the native american flute an expert Pendulum Dowser, having used the pendulum to assist in finding missing persons for over 15 years. George Sewell describes himself as a cognitive philanthropist, active in all aspects of theater. His undergraduate degree is Speech and Journalism from Northwestern State University in Louisiana and a Master of Arts degree in Drama and Communications from the University of New Orleans as a playwright he's written plays for community theater college theater dinner theater awarded the louisiana division of the arts fellowship in theater playwriting vocationally he's re- uh, retired as a counselor has a master's in counseling from louisiana tech a licensed prevention professional program manager administrator in the field of addictive disorders including pro- problem gambling and uh together they are co-authors of Paranormal, Pendulum 3, The Abduction of Lindsay Higgins, The UFO Phenomenon, The Spirit World, and Beyond. Gentlemen, welcome both. How are you?
0: Great. Glad Good to, to be here. here.
1: I could take uh, up half the show just uh, reciting <laughs> your impressive resumes. Um, first of all, let's start with a, a, a real simple one. I hope it's a simple one. And that is, uh, to the uninitiated, can you explain Pendulum Dowsing?
3: Yeah, it's a very simple process. Uh, people are familiar probably with the old farmer out with the uh, Y-shaped stick looking for water back in the, the North 40. Yes. Yeah, it's uh, called the witching stick. Well, it's the same It's the same principle. The only difference is I use a weight on a string. And what you do is basically you ask yes or no questions. And a spin to the right will be a yes, Spin to the left will be a no. So you know, is the missing person in Arizona? Yes. Is the missing person in Phoenix? Yes. Is the missing person north of, uh, you know, Interstate Ten? Yes or no. And you you know you develop the uh, the answer to your your problem, whatever it may be, through yes or no questions. It's an extremely simple technique and easy easy to learn. the The challenge is in keeping your mind focused.
1: And, and Dan, you had a you had a powerful urge to use the pendulum to find missing children. I, was, I think you've described it as a command, really. Tell me about that.
3: Uh, yeah, it was really strange because I, I, I describe myself, in, especially in my earlier paranormal works, as a psychic on training wheels. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, came to, I was 50 years old before I started developing my, my talent. Didn't even know I had a talent. Turned out to be pendulum dowsing. But yeah, I'm not a clear audience. I mean, I, I don't hear voices. Uh, I'm not a medium. I I can't see spirits or anything like that. But one day, I swear to God, I was out walking late at night, just kind of clearing the hair, clearing the head. And I heard a voice that said, find missing children, clear as a bell. And of course, you know, I said, well, uh, either God is talking to me or I'm insane, you know, (laughs) one or the other. And uh, the damnedest thing that they kind of brushed it off. And it would not go away. I mean, it, it just throbbed in the back of my head. And finally, after, you know, uh, three months of just being nagged by this this voice or this this command, I just said, okay, show me a door and I'll go through. And it, it occurred to me at that point that uh, my family has always said, you know, there's a psychic strain within the family. I never gave it any any thought, but I said, well, maybe that's that's how I should approach this this problem, you know. I started hanging out with uh, some psychics and uh, going to psychic bookstores like you normally would. And one day I saw a woman with the rock on a string and it just, you know, snapped. I can do that. So I picked it up and uh, basically myself self-taught uh, pendulum dazzled.
1: And, and uh, how about for you, George?
0: Uh, well, I um, was well aware of Dan's talents with the pendulum and was intrigued by particularly uh, with Degree of accuracy in map dowsing. I mean, he could really narrow down a search area to you know maybe the size of a football. And uh, he wrote two books uh, based on pendulum dowsing. One kind of a how-to. The second one is is using the pendulum to talk directly with the departed and find out what's going on on their side. And much of that research was done uh, in the Shreveport-Bossier City area in Northwest Louisiana. Dan used to live here, and uh, in watching the process. Um, it was fascinating uh, to see the clarity of the questions and the nature of the swing of the pendulum. I mean, uh, if it was a very strong answer, it would be a very large swing. Or if it was a very kind of iffy answer, sort of, yeah, I'm going to say yeah. I don't want to say no, because you'll leave this line of questioning, but rephrase the questions. It might be a little small swing. So there was just a lot of variety to it. And uh, so I, I had a pendulum and started uh, practicing with it. And lo and behold, uh, uh, it's a valid technique and uh, can, be, can be easily learned. Uh, the trick part, again, is um, stepping back and allowing the flow of information without being colored by the, the, the individual holding the pendulum. Right. Get out of the way, I guess. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah the real danger is yeah, you're holding a pendulum, you yeah. know, am I going to win the lottery this weekend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, or you know, is, the, is the beautiful little five-year-old girl still alive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause that's, that's what you want. Right. right. You, you got to stay completely uh, unemotional, completely, uh, completely focused on a lot like George said, allowing the process to develop.
1: So that brings us to um, the third book, the third installment paranormal yeah. pendulum three and uh, the, remarkable case of Lindsay Higgins. Again, this was picked up by uh, Netflix in the series Haunted, episode one, or sorry, episode five, season one. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you become connected with, uh, before we get into Lindsay's remarkable story, uh, with this case?
3: Uh, let well, me start off and then let George finish yeah. real quick. Yeah, uh, we were researching the, uh, Georgia was essential in researching the uh, the paranormal, how to, talk to how to talk to the deceased book. And in doing that, we met Lindsay Higgins and researched her reincarnation angle. Uh, the, about a third of the of book, too, is about Lindsay Higgins and her reincarnation. And George is the one that introduced me to Lindsay and brought her, you know, uh, into into the circle, so to speak. So, yeah, you know, George, why don't you tell Tell them how that happened, because that's 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 real interesting.
0: Yeah, um, this was all in September of 2017. Uh, when just out of the blue one night, the telephone rang, and usually I don't answer because it's usually junk phone calls at night, uh, but I had the urge, well, i just pick this one up just in case, and it was, uh, well, is this George Sewell? I, yes. This is Lindsay Higgins. Uh, Joe Beth Baggett said, I could call you, and we could talk. Oh, and what might we talk about? I recognize the, uh, uh, the person who gave her my name, uh, that lady, she's now deceased, was uh, acquainted with my understandings and background with the Mutual UFO Network as Assistant State Director for Louisiana and having talked to uh, quite a number of folks through the years, mostly late 80s, early 90s, uh, about their experiences. And Joe Beth was aware of what all Lindsay had encountered in her life and thought, well, this would be a good starting place. So, well, Lindsay, we talked about two hours and just kind of went down the litany, starting when she was maybe two and a half, three years old with a particular uh, event that we do cover in the book. And at the end of the conversation, I was able to say, Well, Lindsay, just about everything you've told me, I've heard before from other people in various locations and different time frames. So there's there's some commonality, there's some validity to your experiences, and that was a great relief for her. because up until this time, she'd pretty much sat on it, had not been able to discuss it with anybody. And she reached a point where she had to come out with it. It just she just had to do it. And this is where she ran across a particular podcast that mentioned that a Los Angeles based production company was looking for people who had lifelong paranormal events, true stories. And she decided, well, that's how I'm going to do it. So she wrote up her story, uh, sent it off to the production company. They got back with her within like 14 hours saying, we want to set up a formal meeting uh, on Skype. So the next day they had the formal meeting and boom, okay, you're in, we're going to do this. Then they asked a question. Do you know of any, any other people in the Shreveport, Bojer City area who've had similar experiences or know of them? And that's when she contacted Joe Beth. Joe Beth said, called George. And that's how Lindsay and I got acquainted. We did not meet personally until we were on location our, uh, outside of. Um, uh, it was in California. Pasadena, it was Pasadena. Yes, Pasadena. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful 1880s uh, ranch. Oh gosh, that's a gorgeous place. But that's when we first met in person.
1: Right. And we should point out that the the uh, the Higgins family, um fairly well known, <clears throat> I would think, in Shreveport, right? Because the the father was a restaurateur. Yes.
0: Oh yes, yeah, very well known family. Uh, they've owned a number of very popular restaurants. Um, solid, solid businessman. Um good folk all the way around they're just just nice people
1: so lindsay higgins uh what's remarkable well you would know you're i mean you're mm-hmm. involved with mufon and you're both you know in investigating these things i would think though that um for someone to have conscious memories going back to the age of two and a half three
2: mm-hmm.
1: i mean these are not memories that are retrieved through necessarily no. through a regression. These are conscious memories. I think there's actually even a, a name for that in in sort of the, uh, in ufology or the, the um, contact world,
0: mm-hmm. be a specific name for it. Is there? Yeah. I'll say that these are actual memories Lindsay has, even when she was two and a half and three. I mean, she's not repeating what she was told. She remembers that particular event. And some of the instances were very, very startling dreams uh, that were repetitive. Uh, so she could recount what she dreamed about. And we were able to um, work with that. And in most cases, find that this was really a flashback of an actual occurrence. And that's the beauty of using the pendulum. It, it's uh, an approach that I'd never never heard of being used for this kind of uh, investigation, to use the word investigation. And it proved to be very, very effective. And after cross-checks and double-checking with other sources, uh, much of the information was, okay, this is, this is, this is genuine. this, we can go with this.
1: So let's, we're gonna take a time out here in a few minutes, but let's get this conversation, uh, regarding Lindsay's remarkable timeline going, and then we'll pick it up on the other side. So that first incident that happened, uh, on the second floor of this restaurant, her father mm-hmm. converted an old railroad station into this restaurant.
2: Yes. So the Central restaurant's station.
1: down below and they, they're living above, I guess. Yes. Uh, and she's two and a half. She's wandering out on the balcony. Take it to take it from there.
0: Well, what it was is, uh, when the family's downstairs working in a restaurant, Lindsay's upstairs in her room. Uh, she's got a much younger sister in another room in, in a crib. And Lindsay would just, this the way she described it. She was just bored and looking out the window. windows, nice sunny day. And she wanted to go outside. So, um, her friend Morlock obliged and opened the window for her. So she went out to this balcony and was having a good time of course people outside coming in the restaurant notice this child running around the balcony so they alert the family they run up there pull Lindsay back in close the very large heavy double hung window dan and i inspected the window and asked the obvious uh how did you get outside uh morlock opened the window for me what do you do with that <laughs> there is no other explanation how Lindsay got outside other than the window was open. There's nobody upstairs who could have or would have opened it. Uh, Therefore, kind of just left with somehow this window was opened by her imaginary friend, Morlock.
1: Right. And she had a description of Morlock, right?
0: Uh, Indeed. Indeed. Her father asked, well, what does he look like? And she described uh, kind of a slim, gray-haired fellow um very pleasant very likable but uh, he smoked different her, her father smoked cigarettes she's familiar with that but what she was trying to describe here well he smokes but it's a big brown thing she didn't know about cigars but she described a cigar and her father immediately just whoa hello because uh, he told us that very often he would smell cigar smoke uh, in the building when nobody's smoking cigars so that's a that's an aroma that still continues to this day when we had our sessions inside central station some of the staff there were still reporting that uh, they would often capture a a wafting aroma of cigar
1: remarkable all right we're going to uh, pick this up on the other side my conversation with george Sewell, dan baldwin paranormal pendulum three co-authors and the remarkable case of lindsey higgins right after these
2: The truth will set you free free, 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 but first it will really tick you off. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet.
1: And we are back, George Sewell and Dan Baldwin, co-authors of Paranormal Pendulum 3. So we were talking about Lindsay Higgins, two and a half years old, uh, found on the balcony upstairs in their uh, family restaurant in shreveport louisiana and and uh there's no other explanation i mean how she could have possibly on her own this little child raised these very heavy windows double hung windows to get outside she said it was her friend morlock and uh her her, her father joe sounds like kind of a no-nonsense guy didn't buy that story
0: um, but on the other hand the window was open so uh, it kind of nagged at him apparently. And what he disclosed when we were having our sessions over the past two years for this book was he he mentioned he had a suspicion that if indeed there was a spirit presence in the railroad station uh, who may have actually managed to manipulate the window to, to open it, uh, he had a hunch as to who that person might be, and we kind of explored that uh, in in uh, in the process of. You know, piling all this information. in fact, I think we have a in a transcript form in the in the book, <clears throat> where a, an individual that Dan and I were thinking was Morlock. Uh, turned out uh, not to be the case, but the person we thought was Morlock, that would be W. D. Woodworth. Uh, w. D. Woodworth asked the spirit of this other gentleman who was a railroad man who had an office in Central Station. George Couch, is that his name? George Couch? Pete Couch, Pete Couch is his Couch.
1: name. Pete Couch, right. And
0: as it turned out, uh, yes, Pete Couch was a spirit watching over Lindsay at that time at the behest of W.D. Woodworth, who, uh, as we learned, was her father in her previous incarnation. Uh, so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of reincarnation in this and a lot of continuity, that, yeah. particularly with uh, uh, Lindsay, her sister, and her father maintaining those same relationships in the just previous incarnation as the Woodward family.
1: so So, And and Pete Couch was a railroad,
0: uh, president of a railroad? Right, I think it was Arkansas, Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana. Uh, I'm not exactly Uh, sure.
1: He was a friend of Joe who was also a railroad enthusiast and
0: he- Uh, Joe's a a big enthusiast now. Um, At the time that Pete Couch was there, Pete Couch died in 1955. Uh But as a child, uh, Joe frequently spent time down at the station. He loved trains. He loved the whole thing. And he did come in contact with Pete Couch as a child. And um, when he had an opportunity later in life to uh, acquire the Central Station and get it on the uh, historic records and turn it into the restaurant, I mean, that was kind of a, that was just his moment. He just loved that.
1: Right. So, uh, you know, Joe is maybe taking a bit of a flyer here and thinking, well, I don't necessarily believe in in ghosts and this sort of thing. But if it were to be a spirit, it would, maybe it's, it's Pete Couch.
0: Well, that description that Lindsay gave yeah. That's what, that's the way Pete Couch looked. I right. Mean, uh, she right. gave a description of him as he looked at the time when her father Joe was around there.
1: So Dan, I think you, you maybe I'll go to you to pick this thread, this incredible thread uh, up. And that is the the W.D. Woodruff angle here and this aspect of reincarnation. Um, using your pendulum, contacting spirits, trying to get a lead lead you to a cemetery can you pick it up from there
3: yeah it's it's almost well it's like a detective story almost and it it shows it really shows the involvement of the spirit world in connection with the ufo phenomenon but it started one day george and i had planned to go to uh, the old oakland cemetery the old cemetery in freeport and just to nose around see what we could come up with there's some you know pretty famous local celebrity local people buried there so we were going to see what we could come up with Uh, that morning we went to a location and just said well let's Let's see if we can come up with anybody here while we're waiting around. just kind of on a lark. And the place we went to was was a prominent point that was uh, currently has a VA hospital on it. It was a fort back in the Civil War. The Native Americans lived there for thousands of years. So it's kind of a special place, high bluff overlooking the, the Red River. And we just, on the spur of the moment, sat down at a picnic table and asked, is there any spirit here would like to talk to us? And a fellow came up and we had a conversation and we recorded it. And we asked him if he would, you know, we're, we're going to go to the cemetery this afternoon. We'd like to pay our respects to your grave. Are you buried there? He said, Yeah. So if you'll meet us there, take us to your gravesite. We'd just like to, you know, do the honors thing. That afternoon, George and I go there and uh, we, we stop at the edge of the place park, meet up with this guy, the spirit of this guy again. And he takes us, you know, down into the cemetery and stops at a particular grave site. And the name on it was Pinnock. And we said, well, that's not your name. And at that point, we were handed off to the spirit of this guy named Pinnock. And uh, Pinnock led us around the cemetery, again, using the dowsing uh, the dowsing technique. You know, do we go north, south, east, or west? Do we go 100 feet? Do we go 50 feet? Do we go five feet? Are we at the right spot? And eventually, he led us to uh, the top of a hill, a rather prominent, uh, very old grave site, very prominent family, nice, nice, you know, gated in uh, the iron, iron work around it and all that. And it was the uh, site of the W.D. Woodworth family. And that's where we started investigating W.D. And uh, at first we thought uh, Lindsay was the reincarnation of W.D. Woodworth's wife. Uh, this, this proves the point of doing multiple sessions with the pendulum dowsing. Through, uh, through more sessions we learned that uh, Lindsay Higgins is the uh, reincarnated daughter, not the wife. So she is a reincarnated daughter of Sally Murph Woodworth and it turned out that's how we met WD Woodworth who turned out to be uh her de- her dad in the, in in the the previous incarnation he was quite a character he be- he started popping up in, in different sessions
2: yeah yeah not no. even
3: not even related to lindsay but wd was uh he was from ireland he served in the british navy he served in the uh, american navy in the civil war fought out west in the indian wars uh was wounded in the eye came back to Shreveport and uh, became uh, his nickname was blind Billy. And he became something of a, something of a rounder. And, uh, I think he liked George and I, and I think, I think George and I kind of took to him yeah. in another lifetime. We were probably drinking buddies.
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, what's interesting. Uh, I was able to research and found a lot of newspaper clippings that referenced WD and the family, uh, back in the late 1900s and very early 20th century. And, um, It was kind of interesting, Uh, W.D. would post an advertisement in the paper uh, warning merchants in this town, do not give credit to my wife. I will not be good for it. And his (laughs) wife would post a similar ad saying, do not serve my husband liquor. (laughs) It was was just (laughs) curious. That's the way they were (laughs) carrying on like this. Very, very colorful, very colorful characters.
1: I think I'd be drinking buddies with WD myself.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah.
3: Um so what is Oh, well, you probably uh, were, you know. You never can't tell.
1: Never can't tell. All right. Well, let's get that pendulum going. Yeah? Um yeah. what what is then the connection, connect the dots between W. D. Woodworth uh, uh Woodworth and Moorlock, aka Pete Couch?
0: W D asked. Pete Couch, the spirit of Pete Couch, to kind of keep an eye on Lindsay while she was living there in the old railroad station. That appears to be just what it was,
1: and that came through in the uh, in the communication.
0: That's several sessions yeah. we had inside uh, Central Station with uh, Lindsay's father and several other people, uh, and that was clarified then. And okay, Pete Couch opened the window, but WD asked Pete to keep an eye on Lindsay while she was living there at Central Station.
3: That seem to be yeah, the way, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the book, you know, in, in each chapter, we explain what happened in the chapter, but we also include uh, excerpts, transcripts from the actual pendulum session. So the reader can get an actual feel for uh, how the information was developed and what it's like to actually conduct a, a spirit mm-hmm. session through pendulum dowsing.
1: I would like to pick up on that thread when we come back yeah. uh, and talk about how these pendulum sessions work exactly. Uh, George Sewell, Dan Baldwin, co-authors of Paranormal Pendulum 3 as we continue to discuss the remarkable life and times of Lindsay Higgins, right here on Strange Planet.
2: It's time to redefine reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet.
1: Back with George Sewell, Dan Baldwin, co-authors of Paranormal Pendulum 3. So we were talking about, you were talking about these pendulum sessions when you're c- communicating with the spirit world. Um, and earlier you were sort of describing when you are you were in the cemetery and the pendulum was giving you, you know, precise fairly precise instructions the direction the number of you know feet from your target area and so forth when you're communicating with a spirit how does this communication with the pendulum work
3: yeah well one of the one of the really uh, real benefits of uh, pendulum dowsing and communicating with the spirits is uh you're not sitting there hoping for you know a knock on wood or maybe a single word evp or something like that or just your hair raising on your hands uh, you can actually conduct uh, full, full-fledged full uh, conversations. And, our, our, you know, we've, we've talked with spirits up to 10, 15, 20 minutes at a time. So you can hold extended conversations with the spirit world as long as the spirit is willing to, to converse with you. Mm-hmm. And you conduct it just like you would, just like we're talking right now. You ask questions, uh, George or Dan will give an answer. You ask a, ask a follow-up, uh, Dan or George will give an answer. And you just keep going
1: but are they communicating through the pendulum with through the movement of
3: the pendulum oh well, yeah yeah the uh, the pendulum is just, there's no magic in the pendulum whatsoever it's, it's a rock on a string it's, it's a tool you know that's all it is but it's a tool that allows you to connect uh, to use your subconscious to connect with other information and that other information may be the uh, information stored in the ether the akashic records whatever you, however you want to call that you can also contact spirits and in our case, you can have conversations with ETs. But the, right. the pendulum itself, again, it's just a, it's just a tool. It's a rock on a string.
0: Yeah, there's also a dynamic, Richard. Uh, in the sessions we had, we often had uh, several several other people working with us. So it's not just me and Dan all the time. We'll have uh, one, uh, perhaps, uh, evidential medium attending also with that particular skill set. We may have another pendulum dowser in attendance. We may have a uh, a couple of academics who are really, really good at asking questions. And once the, there's a momentum kind of set up and then each individual will kind of come up with, oh, well, I need to ask this or I want to ask that. So we cover territory that Dan and I might not necessarily have covered because of this group setting and everybody getting that energy. And uh, I'm sure it's, it's also an, uh, another way for outside information to be introduced into that particular session. So it's it's very lively. There's nothing boring or Tedious about it. It's uh, uh, really quite fascinating.
1: But uh, when the spirit is communicating, when you're communicating with W. D. Woodworth or with Sally Woodworth, who mm-hmm. was uh, Lindsay Higgins in a previous incarnation, um, just so that I understand, are you are you hearing the voices? Is it no. almost more of a telepathic communication?
0: No, it's just a question and answer, yes or no. That's that's the process. It's like there's a know. session where Dan and I were. Uh, Having a pendulum session uh, with Lindsay, and at the same time in that session, we were also asking questions to the spirit of Sally Murph Woodruff, which was Lindsay in the previous incarnation, but she was taking form with her spirit of Sally Murph, so we're talking to a 3D Lindsay, and the same soul we're talking to as spirit form as Sally Murph. And it's just question and answer yes or no format and just which way the pendulum swing. Yes, no, or if it doesn't do anything, we usually have to react re-ask the question.
1: Interesting.
3: Let me, let me jump in here real quick, but to to avoid the obvious question, the spirit does not move the pendulum. The the pendulum is moved by the, 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 the micro muscles in your fingers actually move the, move the pendulum, but they move in response to what your subconscious is, is, is hearing. So, you know, the, the spirit says something, it goes down through your subconscious, into the muscles, and that's what moves the pendulum. But the, the spirit doesn't touch it at all.
0: Got it. Okay. Yeah, and kind of kind of reinforce that, Richard, uh, uh, a number of folks, but in particular the, uh, the mediums who were also a part of this team. Uh, of course, they would pick up the response instantly before the pendulum even started to move. So um, it was good to have that perspective as well.
1: Right. Well, this is interesting because
0: uh, I don't know how, common this is but here you
1: are interviewing lindsay higgins uh and also communicating with her previous incarnation from past life sally Woodruff. so two spirits two different i don't know expressions Mm -hmm. uh
3: has that happened before all the time yeah yeah yeah, george came up with the term for we use in the book called stacking 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 where you actually have the, the same spirit in different in different forms talking at the same time Hmm. yeah the concept of spirit is is a lot more complex than we uh we thought going into this
1: Mm -hmm. so while you're recording because you just you record your sessions absolutely uh, but you sometimes you're not actively looking for evps but occasionally you get evps right
3: yeah, yeah, we record the sessions because we want to keep an ac- exact record of who said what and you know, when it was, what it was said, and the, the whole process. And uh, because we put a lot of the, uh, the transcriptions into the book, mm-hmm. but every once in a while we would get a, a solid EVP. Uh, for example, we were at the uh, Spring Street Museum, which was owned by a very prominent family back in the day, and the upstairs is set up like the old parlor. You know, the 1880s, very fancy, very upscale parlor. And one of the museum staff was, you know, we made contact with the spirits, and she, one of the uh, the the personnel at the uh, at the museum, actually complimented uh, the, the female spirit on how well her house was decorated, and we've got a very clear "Why thank you," from a female voice out of the blue.
0: And there was another EVP that uh, was particularly notable. Uh, same location. Uh, I don't know if it was this particular session, but we were having a session at the Spring Street Museum with uh, one of the brothers who uh, built the particular building. It was originally a bank. And that brother was acquainted with the W.D. Woodward family. So we were trying to get information of, of what, at this time is when we thought that Lindsay was uh, his uh, W.D.'s wife. and We were getting information about, well, what did she look like? What kind of clothes did she wear? What were her interests? We're trying to get material to present to Lindsay to see if anything resonated. And after the session, we're back at the house, listening to that particular tape. And Dan and I were both listening to that particular, uh, series of questions. And then boom, a very clear, firm male voice EVP. Lindsay is key. Whoa, where'd that come from? <laughs> and we listened to it again. and No question. It's there. Lindsay is key. And we listened to it a good half dozen times. And, um, Oh, a couple of weeks later Dan's back in Arizona and he's doing the transcription of that particular uh, recording and the EVP is not there.
1: The handiwork of WD perhaps, the prankster? Yes. That's we, what the, he
3: says.
0: That we later had sessions and WD fessed up. Yeah, I put it there. Yeah, I took it out. <laughs> uh,
1: as a demonstration of what he's capable yes. of?
0: Yes, we had, we had many demonstrations in the course of this investigation of what they I say they on the other side uh can do and there's there's quite a lot that they can do including manipulating uh, you know electronics
1: right or lifting a double-hung window window that's child's play (laughs) (laughs) um so how do we then if we if, if it's possible connect the uh the reincarnation aspect of this story to the abduction aspect of the story we should you know we should talk a little bit about some of her Lindsay's experiences you know abdominal pains and and puncture wounds and and things that she i think attributed to
0: oh yeah all that all that's addressed and it is related to what i would call the visitations i don't particularly like the word abductions because that's that has a very negative criminal connotation and it turned out this is not what's going on what uh what we pieced together over two years is that uh, six thousand years ago, on a different plane than uh, the dearly departed are, it's a little a little higher frequency than that plane. Um, these evolved spirit that we called ET, uh, and that our two mediums got a very strong impression of, is a very highly evolved, very powerful entity. Um, ET, using that reference. And Lindsay uh, had a meeting, so to speak, and Lindsay was asked would she want to participate in a longitudinal uh, process, I won't say experiment because they weren't experimenting, they, they had a goal but it would take several thousand years for it to become manifest. And it was to uh, affect human beings longevity and their, their ability to use their sixth sense to communicate more freely with the other dimensions. And because Lindsay would be reincarnating, that seemed to be an element that was necessary for her participation. So she agreed to this. And of course, when you, you know, when you incarnate, you lose all of this memory. So you don't have the recollection that, uh, okay, well, of what's going on. And once Lindsay got an understanding of really what was happening, uh, it made a big difference. And so She said, well, if I agreed to do it, then by golly, we're going to continue. But let's take away the pain let's not have the discomfort. And there was an agreement made. Uh, Lindsay made that request. It was, okay, sure, fine, we can do that. And mm-hmm. she has had some uh, visitation since then, and she did not associate any discomfort uh, with that. So that, that was a, a good relief. Right. Because previously
1: there was uh, some severe abdominal pain when she was what, eight or nine
0: yeah, starting at the age of nine, and uh, it was undiagnosable. Uh, she was hospitalized, every test in the world done. There was absolutely no explanation for the uh, the, the pains, and doctors just kind of wrote it off as well. Her mother's got cancer, and she's just trying to get attention, You know that kind of silliness.
1: And so what um, memory does she have of this uh, this experience that is connected to that pain?
0: She had uh, um, we cover in the book uh, a couple of flashbacks uh, where she was triggered. One was uh, she uh, as an adult, um, uh, went to a sensory deprivation center just to you know get in the tank and just uh, lose all sensors and just kind of hope, meditate, or whatever. She got in that and that sparked a memory of being in a holding area inside a craft, waiting for whatever the procedures were to be. and that just freaked her out. She left out of that. Uh, that uh, chamber and uh, just, just freaked out, just scared her husband to death. (laughs) Um, But in describing what she was flashing back to, uh, she related um, an event that uh, uh, would explain some of the discomfort that there were some procedures done that uh, the individuals who were working with her probably did not know that they were inflicting pain. Uh, that did kind of surface in a few of the sessions that uh, they, the workers, not the ET, the supervisory, but uh, the actual people or entities who were doing the physical work when it was physical. Sometimes it's astral, it's not physical. Uh, but they, they weren't always aware that uh, what they're doing was causing discomfort for Lindsay. So you also
1: discovered um, about 4,000 years ago, there's a, um, I think it's called Poverty Point. Yes. In Louisiana, this is a, a UN World Heritage site. Yes, indeed. Um you contacted a medicine man using the pendulum. Was he was, uh, did he go by the name Jocko? Jocko? Uh, it's a name
0: I gave him as a character, Jocko. Okay. Um, the name did not come from the individual himself. Ah, okay. So Although I know I, yeah. I know who the individual is who previously was that individual. He's deceased <laughs> and that's the individual we were communicating with the pendulum about his previous lifetime as this medicine man at Poverty Point which is a very ancient and um, very very prominent um, mound building culture trading center they traded from the Great Lakes down to South South America apparently it was a huge trading center and there was this medicine man and what we were able to glean was that, he was kind of a go-between with the population at Poverty Point and the sky people who made frequent appearances at Poverty Point. Uh, we didn't go into detail with exactly how that worked. Uh, Dan and I are currently researching that particular subject for Paranormal Pendulum Book 4, uh, which will explore the sky people.
1: All right, but Lindsay Higgins has a connection there, too. Uh, she was there, yeah. Point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She
3: was there.
0: Yeah, she was okay. there uh, as a male uh, from either Mexico or Central America specifically came to poverty point as an apprentice to Jotbo. So Lindsay was there as best we can determine. And we will pursue that uh, in the next book as well. And one thing that, uh, uh we Lindsay has psychic abilities, not always, uh, full full fledged or, uh, necessarily directional, but, um, at that time, we suspect that a lot of her training with jockpo was to develop the psychic abilities, the, the sixth sense, the whole thing, and that that training has carried over for these thousands of years.
1: So, the um, was she sort of a assisting as a go between between the sky people and
3: the the civil. The... Yeah, she she was more she was more of a, an apprentice to jockpo than than a go between.
1: And that was more his role. He Jopko was the the go
3: between. Yes, well, that's that's one of the things we're definitely going to be exploring. Yeah, um, I'm, sp- not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Go between is is an accurate term. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in in some of the research that, that we're conducting now, uh, there doesn't seem to be a need for a go between. Uh, from what we're we're finding early on in the researches, they would show up, and the people would say, "Hey, they're they're back." Uh, there was no need for. Uh, no need for it, a go-between.
1: Um, have you used the pendulum to contact um, spirits? You know, our ancestors who and ask them about interactions with sky people.
3: Uh, yeah, oh, that's, yeah, uh, yeah we're, that's what we're doing now. Uh, you know, George is in the center of uh, the, the, the mound-building culture. I'm out here in the in, in the middle of cliff, cliff dwelling center out in Arizona. So we're we're doing two to two entirely different cultures, but we're asking about you know interaction with the sky people. and uh, what I'm getting out here is that there was definite interaction between the the uh, at least the, the Pueblo people for sure and the quote sky people and that it was uh, not scheduled but pretty regular and it wasn't uh, wasn't anything to be frightened about. it wasn't you know there was there was no fear. it was like uh, you know companies coming to companies coming they they were wide wide open to
0: it yeah well we'll we'll be hopefully getting some descriptions of what the sky people appeared to the the population but what Dan's gleaning is that there was nothing frightening terrifying or otherwise disturbing uh, to the residents all right look for more
1: details in the upcoming paranormal pendulum 4 yeah uh, just sticking with the sky people just for a, a few minutes yet yeah, before yeah. we uh, before we say goodbye and that is um when you have these Communications with our with our ancestors about sky people. Do th- I mean how do they? I, I, you say they, they you know they were non threatening, they weren't frightening. It was companies coming, but did they? We tend to, we tend to um, when we when we when we look at our ancestors or consider our ancestors and in, in possible interactions uh, with extraterrestrials or whatever. You know we we assume that they looked at them as you know. Gods of some sort. Did they look at them that way?
3: No. Uh, again, uh, I conducted two sessions in uh, different cliff dwellings about two weeks ago. And yeah, this is alternative. We're still in the early stages of our uh, research. But I would go to the the, uh, the cliff dwelling, sit down, and uh, yeah, I don't hold a séance. I just say basically, if there's anyone here who would like to speak to me, I would appreciate speaking to me. Speaking to me. And now we get a yes on the pendulum. Well, are you someone who lived here at the time this place was, was active? I, I would get a yes. And what I'm getting from them, uh, the, the answer so far is uh, the sky people weren't considered gods. They were, they were considered people who came down in these uh, strange machines and uh, mm, conducted trade in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, so far, there's, there's no indication at all that they were considered gods.
0: Yeah, and in some conversations I had over Poverty Point with this entity uh, we recognize as Jacques Poe, apparently it's a little more hierarchical in this particular society because Jacques Poe presented himself as the go between. That uh, the Sky people didn't mingle directly with the population at Poverty Point, but they would share information or other other materials. And in return, Jacques Poe was describing his main uh, uh, service to the Sky people was helping them understand human emotions and feelings, that this was something that they may had an intellectual awareness of, but because they themselves did not have that kind of emotional uh, machinery, I guess I use the word machinery, uh, that this was a, a great learning opportunity for them. And apparently, uh, Jock Poe was able to uh, convey to them some appreciation for human emotions and feelings.
3: Yeah, one of the things I, uh, I kept coming across so far, again, this is early research, but the, they conducted trade but the trade was in ideas
1: yeah interesting interesting yeah.
3: right more to come
1: i mean yeah what would what would our uh, what would our ancestors have technology yeah. wise you know, <laughs> yeah. the sky people would be interested Here.
3: we got uh, the sharp rock you want this <laughs> <laughs> um so what
1: what have you <clears throat> able to connect in terms of you know through communication using the pendulum with the spirit world and the, the connection between uh, extraterrestrials, sky people, um, the spirit of our ancestors. Are they, is it a continuum? Are they, are they, is there a connection?
3: Yeah, let me, let me intro and let George finish it. But uh, there, the, there's a definite spiritual aspect to the, uh, to the, the UFO world, at least in terms of uh, what George and I are doing. Our whole involvement, we have discovered, is has been stage managed by the spirit side. In fact, there's a chapter in the book called "The Stage Manager," and there was a there's a specific spirit, probably more, but at least one specific spirit, who's kind of put together this whole team of the New Explorers Club. It's what I call it. It's me and George and our, our mediums and our friends and some other dowsers. But uh, the the stage manager set this whole thing up and the, uh, let George finish it out.
0: Uh, yeah, in the process of the, the, the two years here, we realize that uh, uh, there are a lot of others who are interested in this particular research, and in particular, having this paranormal pendulum book three made available so that uh, people can can access it and. Oh, um, what Dan's alluding to is during this process, I tended to get up very early in the morning, take a three-mile walk to Mike Woods Park at, near the end of the Barks, Barks, Barksdale Air Force Base runway and walk around and whatnot. And one winter morning, the baseball field was all sparkly, looked kind of nice. So I took out my iPhone, took a picture, put it on Facebook as a scene seen on this morning stroll. And a lot of people said, oh, George, that's just pretty. But what's with the blue tennis ball? Said, what? <laughs> Look at the photograph. And sure enough, there's a blue orb uh, just above the ground. And I didn't, didn't even notice it. Uh, so I said, okay, fine. That's gotta be a lens flare or something. Cause you know, sun is just rising. Um, a couple of days later, making the same track roughly the same time. And I just kind of get the thought, well, let me recreate that photograph. So I'm in the same position, reframe the same, um, image click and lo and behold, there's another orb in it. And that continued for several walks over the next several days. And, uh, this is this is this is beyond lens flares or anything like that something's going on here so i sent them all to dan and said dan take out your powerful pendulum and see if you can get a feel for what's what, what's what's this orb thing what's going on here and he spent some time with it and came up the conclusion that the orb is a spirit it's a spirit known to me but not in this lifetime so okay and then i have kind of a little thought well let me look for 19th century American actresses. So I started searching the internet and one name kept cropping up Kate Bateman. Um, And I started to do some newspaper, newspaper newspaper.com research about Kate Bateman and her theatrical family. And yes, she was all over the country uh, in the 18th century. She was in New Orleans in December, 1860 doing Juliet at St. Charles theater, Uh, married an Englishman and went to England very popular on the London stage. and, brought this to Dan. Dan, Is this the blue orb, Dan? Is this Kate? And he got big, strong Yes. took it to uh, our evidential medium and had a a special session just to see what uh, she would pick up. And Kate pretty much presented herself. Much of that is in the book. And Kate uh, basically said, hey, we all know each other. We've been doing this for a long time. And you could see her hand kind of just moving through this whole process because everything just went click click, 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 click. So a very active partner in this research has been um, Kate Bateman. Did that name just come out of
1: the ether into your, into your,
0: it came out of just something I was seeing when I'm looking at 19th century American actresses, newspaper accounts, playbills, it just kept popping up. And uh, yes, she was, in her subtle way directing me. A friend of mine said, why didn't you look up a uh, 15th century physicist? Well, I wouldn't find Kate Bateman there. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> look at 19th century American actresses to find her. So there's there's, there's so much method to the madness right? Uh, that uh, we had a lot of confidence in what Kate was presenting.
1: That's fascinating because, you know, many of us have what we call happenstance or serendipities, and we don't know really what the connection is and we maybe we just disregard them but maybe there's a stage manager behind
3: all well, of that Yeah, you know, this is a this is a spiritual mission impossible on the other side kate at some point kate bateman sat down opened up her little book and yeah, we need to advance Lindsay's story let's see we got oh we got dan we'll put him in we got george we'll put him in we got these two mediums we'll put them in yeah about that win joe we'll throw in yeah we got this guy over here put together the whole team and we all came together. It's an—it's amazing how this little team just kind of came together all—all all on its own. And I think it—I think you know, Kate is the—the uh, the motivating factor behind the scenes.
0: Yeah, I think for sure that uh, Kate put the bug in Lindsay's ear about it's time to come out. It's time to come out. It's time to come out.
1: Fantastic. Well, it's all documented in Paranormal Pendulum Three. George Sewell, Dan Baldwin. What a wild ride. Thank you, gentlemen.
3: Thank you.
2: I appreciate it, Richard. All right, we'll talk again soon, I hope. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Subscribe at strangeplanetpodcast.com.